0: The first reading tonight is taken from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nef- 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 Fiti, Neftali, Sorry, But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The rod of their oppressor every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be disdained for burning will be destined for burning will be a fuel for the fire for us a child is born for us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And the second reading is from Luke chapter 1, starting at verses 46 through to 55, and that's on page 1026. just as he promised our ancestors. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Lord God, thank you for the chance now to listen to your word. Please, in your kindness, fill us with deep joy as we hear about what you're like and what you're doing. Amen. Well, I can't say for certain, but I'd guess that Um, Throughout history, for most unmarried teenage girls who discover that they're pregnant and who know that their fiancé is going to find out it's not theirs, um, celebration is probably not the response you'd normally get. Um, But in the song that we just heard read a moment ago in Luke, that is exactly the response uh, that Mary gives to that very situation. She's an unimportant, unimpressive teenage girl engaged to Joseph, she discovers she's pregnant, and it's not Joseph's, and her response is to break out in cartwheels of joy in this song that's become one of the most famous songs of all time. And now, obviously, we know that Mary's situation is a little bit different. Um, a couple of days before she sings this song, um, she's been visited by an angel who told her, um, you're going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Um, you'll have a child. You'll call him Jesus and he'll be called the Son of God. And just a couple of days later, um, she responds with the words of the song we just read, explosive and overflowing joy and praise and thanksgiving to God. Um, And as we read this evening, uh, we're invited to share in her joy and her praise as we consider how incredible the Christmas story is and how incredible God is. Joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. And so at this point, I want to ask, um, do you ever find that there's a, a gap between the way that you feel about God and about the gospel and about Christian things and about the Christmas story, the way that you feel about those things, and the way that you think you ought to feel about those things? Like in my head, I know this is wonderful and exciting and amazing, but rarely... Am I as joyful or as grateful or as excited about Jesus as I think that I should be? And perhaps you look at other Christians and they just seem to love following Jesus right now. Or perhaps you read a song like Mary's, a song of explosive joy in God and what He's doing. My soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Perhaps you read a song like that, and you think to yourself, well, I've been following Jesus for a long time, but I rarely feel that way. Or maybe even I've never felt that way. I certainly don't feel like that now. And well, if that is you, if that's ever been you, I think three things. One, I think that is normal. And two, I don't think that needs to be a source of guilt. Um, And three, what a good thing that we have a chance now and over the the next few weeks to, to think about God And what he's done and what he's like to ask, why did Mary get quite so excited uh, at this moment? And my prayer as we do that is that we'll we'll know something of what she knew and we'll feel something of what she felt. And let me say very quickly, and the aim is not that we leave this evening uh, with big grins on our faces thinking life is amazing. And for some that might be how you're feeling right now, for some... Um, it most certainly won't be. And um, the aim is not that we leave thinking life is amazing. The aim is that we leave wherever we are, whether life's amazing or, or, or life's rubbish right now, um, thinking that God is amazing, more sure, uh, more joyful, like Mary, uh, because we've realized God is amazing. And well, let's look at why. And um, if you're a note taker, I'm sorry, there are no headings, but here is now the time to write a heading. If you have a pen and a piece of paper, heading one, um, Rejoice. God's salvation has finally come. And if you write that down, underline finally. Uh, rejoice. God's salvation has finally come. Um, I remember when the final Harry Potter book came out, uh, 2007, I think, um, people went absolutely ballistic. And they were so excited to discover the ending. If you don't know Harry Potter, it's about a boy who goes to wizard school, And for seven years, an old man tries to kill him in different ways. And the final book is very, very dramatic and very exciting and very momentous because it's the climax of the 3,000 pages and six books of story that have come before. And finally, in the last book, everything's resolved and satisfied, questions are answered, the story comes to a pleasing end. So imagine someone decides to read Harry Potter and they pick it up at book seven they just wouldn't get it, right? If they only read book seven, they just wouldn't get it. They might enjoy the story. They might enjoy... I'm sure it's a very fun book on its own. But they just wouldn't know the significance of what they're reading. They wouldn't feel all you're supposed to feel and understand all you're supposed to understand as you read about good finally triumphing over evil after such a long struggle. Um, I wonder if one of the reasons we, we don't always feel like Mary did... Uh, when we think about the Christmas story, is that we forget that Christmas is not the start of the story. It does feel like the start of the story, doesn't it? We're in the, you know, it's in the beginning of the Gospels. We're in Luke chapter 1. It's about Jesus' birth. It feels like the start of the story. Uh, but it is, of course, the climactic end to a very, very, very long story. Or at the very least, it's the beginning of the climactic end to a very long story um, if you notice in your bibles uh, we're on page 1027 if this was the start of the story we be on page one um, but we're at the very very end of the story um, or, or the beginning of the very end and if we don't have a sense of what came before i think we'll struggle to understand like mary did quite how wonderful jesus's arrival is and um, please look at verse 54 and see that mary understands that this is what's happened to her is part of a much bigger story. Verse 54, this is the climax and the conclusion of her song. She says this, God has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary knows that what's happened to her is part of a much, much bigger story. The story of the Old Testament is a story of God making bigger and bigger promises to his people to fix the world and to save his people. And at the same time, his people being more and more unfaithful and wicked and evil. So 2,000 years before Mary, God promised a guy called Abraham that he would fix the world and save the world through his offspring. And all the while... The world was a place full of pain and sadness and wickedness and death, and full of people who hated God. So, big promise, um, but the people were dreadful. About a thousand years later, um, Abraham's family have become the nation of Israel, and God promises the king of that nation, David, that one day one of his offspring will sit on an eternal throne, will have an eternal kingdom. That is a huge promise. And all the while, um, God's people were growing increasingly wicked and rebellious. Um, a few hundred years after David, God promised through uh, Isaiah, which was that first reading, um, that a child would be born, and um, he would inherit David's throne, and he would be the one to fix and save the world. All the while, God's people were so bad that God had to expel them from the land he'd given them. So the promises are up here. The, the people are down here. By the, by the time the, the, uh, the Old Testament's over, and we've got this huge gap between uh, what God has said he'll do and, and ha- you know, ha- what the, do the people look like they deserve it? Absolutely not. Um, and then 400 years of silence before Mary, that's, um, uh, for context, that's if God hadn't said anything to us since the gunpowder plot and Guy Fawkes, that's how long uh, there was silence for. But then after 400 years of silence, Mary, this unimportant, unimpressive nobody, is visited by an angel. And that angel says in verse 31, if you'll read with me, verse 31. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary's response to that is is cartwheels and, and joy and praise in this song that we're reading. But Mary is not mainly rejoicing because she's happy she's having a baby. I'm sure she was very happy she's having a baby. That's not why she's mainly rejoicing. She's not mainly rejoicing because she's happy that God's chosen her to play a particular part in this story. Though she does say she's very happy about that in verse 48. Mary is rejoicing primarily because she knows that the baby conceived in her is the very one through whom God is keeping all his promises. Promises to fix the brokenness of the world and save the human race from death and judgment. Mary is rejoicing because the baby conceived in her is the sign that God has remembered to be merciful. Evil people deserving nothing but God's anger. And yet the baby in Mary's womb is God himself stepping into history to show mercy to his wayward people. Should we read verse 54 again? He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. The king who will save, is finally here. God's salvation has finally come. Israel didn't deserve it. The human race didn't deserve it. You and I don't deserve it, but God made promises and he's kept them. And that is why Mary says in verse 46, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. In her innermost being, she is overwhelmed with delight because the Saviour has finally come. And that means when we look out at the world and you see a broken mess and it breaks your heart, remember that, that Christmas means God has finally come to save you, to fix the world. And when the brokenness of the world is painfully close to home, which it will be for some, remember that Christmas means God has finally Come to fix it. And when you are especially aware of your sin and grieved by it, and you think there's absolutely no way God would want anything to do with me, remember that Christmas means no, and God has come to save you and fix you. And two thousand years after after this song after Mary, and we are in the closing moments of history, just before. Um, God wraps up all things for good when Jesus comes a second time and God's people are gathered to live with him in a perfectly unspoiled world. Um, Does that not make you want to say with Mary, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour? Is this not a cause for joy and wonder and delight and thanksgiving, perhaps alongside groaning and tears? as we eagerly await for Jesus to come back to save us. But joy in the meantime as well, because we know God's salvation has finally come. If you like making notes, then now is time to write another heading, uh, which is uh, heading number two, Rejoice. God's salvation means massive reversal. And God's salvation means massive reversal. We've seen that Jesus' arrival means salvation is here, but what does that salvation look like? And who is that salvation for? And why don't we read, please, from verse 51, halfway through that verse, and let's see what it looks like. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to, A- to Abraham and his descendants forever. And God's salvation, did you hear, means massive reversals and um, you can hear Mary speaking in past tense he has done this he has done this he has done this and that's not because she's talking about something that's already happened it's because she's so so certain in what God will do because of the arrival of the saviour king it's like she can talk about it in past tense it's like she can say it's happened already such a deep trust in God and what he'll do that she knows um, the proud will be scattered rulers will be brought down the rich will be sent away with nothing but the hungry will be fed and the humble will be lifted and now we need to be careful how we understand this it doesn't mean that god is going to look at your bank balance and if you are over a certain threshold that's bad news it doesn't mean that if you're in a position of power or authority jesus wants nothing to do with you it has to do with our attitude towards god and our spiritual poverty or riches um, are we self-reliant and arrogantly ignoring God, or are we hungrily, humbly, dependently coming to him for mercy? Uh, the language of rich rulers being brought down, like, it paints a picture, doesn't it, of, of arrogant self-reliance and an attitude that says, I do not need God. And um, the language of hunger paints a picture of needy, humble dependence on God. But of course, we know there are, there are people who are rich and powerful, who have humbled themselves before God. Jesus even met people like that. Think of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. And we know that there are people who are poor and hungry, who proudly stand in opposition to Jesus. I mean, Jesus met people like that. Think of the thief on the cross who wouldn't repent. And God's salvation means massive reversals, the humble will be lifted, the proud will be scattered. And isn't that the pattern for salvation that God's already set? We see that all the way through the Bible. And verse 51 again, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. That's language that calls back to the Exodus, which is when God saved his people out from slavery in Egypt. If you know that story, think of Pharaoh, uh, the king of Egypt, the rich Proud ruler who arrogantly set himself up against God, abusing and oppressing God's people, ignoring him. And think how he was humbled and humiliated and brought to nothing by God's mighty hands. But God's people, the poor, enslaved, and oppressed, lifted up, rescued by God and by his mighty hand. God's salvation has always looked like reversals. And the salvation that Jesus brings that Mary has just heard about is no different. The humble will be lifted up, the proud will be scattered. And think of the attitude that that I sometimes see in myself that that means we arrogantly live just as we please, thinking God is not there or, or God won't hold me to account Or God can't hold me to account. Or if he does, I'll probably be able to charm him and bring him round to my side. What a pathetically arrogant, stupid way of thinking. What a ridiculous way to think about God. Or think of the attitude that arrogantly thinks, well, actually, God's probably really pleased with me. I'm a decent sort of person. I'm respectable, polite, pay taxes, recycle. I'm sure God is pleased with me as I am. I don't need to consider him for a moment. I'm in complete denial of sin. And well, Jesus is coming, means that the proud will be humbled. And, And Mary thinks that's a cause for rejoicing. And isn't she right? Don't you want people in positions of power who've abused and exploited because they think there will be no justice? Don't you want people like that to be held to account by Jesus? Don't you want to see violent tyrants responsible for the deaths of countless people and for the misery of countless more to be held to account by King Jesus? Mary realises that there will be a day when people like Vladimir Putin are held to account by Jesus if they don't repent first. And so she rejoices, and I think we should too, that the saviour has come, the proud Will be humbled, and at the same time, the humble will be lifted. Uh, for those who realize their spiritual poverty, who realize they have nothing to offer God, those who, like Mary, know how much they need saving, um, and who say, who's, "There is cause for those people for great rejoicing," because the Savior is here and he lifts the humble. He's such an extraordinary God that he looks at wretched people like you and like me and his instinct is to have mercy on people who say, please, please God, I need help. And that was Mary. Mary knew that the baby in her womb was was that saviour who'd lift the humble and so she is overcome with joy and thanks to God. And so... Each one of us needs to ask ourselves, just as we close, am I like Mary, humbled before God, dependent on him for mercy, trusting in his promises? Or am I proudly, arrogantly, ignoring the one who humbles the proud, saying I don't need him, I'm okay on my own, I don't need to listen to him? And the, berry, the baby In Mary's womb is cause for great joy, but also cause for urgent response. He is a merciful king, but please look again at verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him. And what a mistake it would be to think of Jesus only as the baby in the womb or the baby in the manger. And forget that he's also the conquering king of the universe. And God's salvation has finally come, the humble will be lifted up and the proud will be humbled. And as Christmas approaches, whether that's a time that for you is filled with uh, great excitement and and, and happiness or stress and sadness, I, I hope that if you're a follower of Jesus, you'll be able to say with Mary those words in verse 46, which we'll read again. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. Shall I pray? Lord God, thank you that you have remembered to be merciful and that you've kept your promise to save and to fix the world. And thank you that you will bring down the proud and lift up the humble. Thank you so very much for Jesus. Please, in your kindness, fill us with a deep joy as we think about. Uh, what he's done and what he's still doing and what he will do. Uh, Thank you for Jesus. Amen.